This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. It don't get any better than that! The ginger ninja! The ginger ninja! Top corner! Greetings and welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast, the Villa podcast that one listener described as the Thinking Villa Fans podcast. I'm David Michael, your host and editor of MyOldManSaid.com. Joining me to do a bit of thinking... Mr. Chris Budd, welcome back. Good evening. How you doing? Very well, thank you very much. I've just uh, cooked a curry from scratch, so I'm... Uh, How very romantic. High on life. <laughs> Mr. Phil Shaw, welcome back. Bonjour. <laughs> I forgot you've been taking French lessons since our last pod. Oh, no, so that was, wasn't was uh, the last podcast. It was the uh, the Patron Extra half-term report podcast. It was. Yeah, I thought... I thought I had to put a bit of effort in to make myself a bit more European. No, exactly. How's your uh, Disney share doing? It's, it's going up. It's not like the rest of my, my shares that I, I stupidly followed on, on Twitter to buy, but at least the Disney one's keeping me afloat. What is it, $5? <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm now interested in this $5 share that you've got in Disney. Yes, yeah, I think I'm up to about $5.60 now, so it's look at that. Oof. Yeah, lump on, lump on. Right, coming up in the show, we uh, look back at the uh, the battle at the Amex, uh, the nil-nil draw, and discuss the uh, various uh, pluses and mi- the pros and cons of uh, Villa's latest performance. We'll also look at uh, the latest uh, Villa news uh, that's doing the rounds, then get into the three points, which uh, include the Premier League's dictate to social media platforms, uh, a very unfortunate Zoom call, and uh, also uh, an interesting reason to ban a football match. And finishing off the show, after we discuss uh, Villa's current situation in the Brighton game, we will be uh, doing the under and overrated treatment on Mr. Steve Sidwell. I quite like this run of like innocuous players that hardly played any games for Villa. There's been a few. Well, there's been many, isn't there? It's a trip down memory lane with a with a twist. First of all, Villa news. 
Jacob Ramsey has signed a new contract until 2025, which uh, would be improved terms now that he's uh, considered a fully-fledged member of the matchday squad. I think that's uh, his agent would have been saying, <coughs> if, if he's replacing Barkley, we want at least Barkley's wages now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jacob the Reaper Ramsey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, obviously hasn't got anywhere near that, but uh, that will uh, spare him on because not many uh, players that come, even you know, in Premier League academies, uh, actually make it to this to, to this actual stage that he's at now. So uh, hopefully that will buoy him on to the next level and uh, will save us a bit of cash going forward in the transfer market, which is the the end game of the academy. Next, Neil Taylor has. Uh, put himself up as a mentor in the new PFA inclusion mentoring scheme, which is uh, essentially to encourage and get more Asian Asian British people uh, into the game, considering it they, they make up 7.5% of the British population. That was something that always amazed me when I came to Birmingham for the first time in the 90s, and you used to see loads of uh, Asian kids playing everywhere. And then you realise that you actually the penny dropped. It's like, what, what, you know, even like twenty years, thirty years later, hardly any actually make it. But uh, hopefully, uh, this is more than a token gesture mentoring scheme, and it actually uh, bears some fruit uh, in the upcoming years. Also, uh, just to give you the inside, the Villa Fan Consultation Group have a meeting uh, in a week or so. I think it's more on the marketing side. The club are wanting feedback on uh, their whole one account signing into the website which uh, covers, uh, I think, your ticketing account, Villa TV, ordering merchandise, etc., etc. So if anybody's got any feedback on that, do drop me a line. Further afield, Ron Villar, ex-Villa centre-back, has retired from the game. He's aged 35 now, isn't he? I think ultimately injuries uh, got to him, but, you know, 35, when he was at us with his persistent calf problems, uh, he'd have done well. Uh, You'd have said uh, you'll do well to get to 35 and still play in the game. Yeah, never thought he was going to make a polystyrene run. Yeah, it was a marshmallow run, we used to call him on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and we also were very suspicious that he was moonlighting because he always seemed to disappear at Christmas. So uh, we always thought he was like the uh, the Santa in uh, some supermarket, whether it was in Birmingham or uh, back in his home uh, Netherlands. Or indeed, Santa. Yeah, or maybe Santa. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Santa Ron. Uh, what I didn't realise uh, with, with old Santa Ron was uh, he pretty much got divorced before he came to Villa. He got divorced uh, literally like a couple of months after his wife gave birth to their second child. So he, he, he was basically making a clean break for it when he uh, when he joined the Villa to get out of Holland and uh, start a new life. A bit of context there for Ron's career. Dominated by uh, calf problems, but... Very similar to the Larson, uh, Martin Larson situation where he was injury prone and that's how ultimately Villa got him because they were willing to gamble on him in the hope they'd get games out of him, like getting a superior centre-back, but one that may or may not uh, play a majority of the games for them. Right, uh, before we go on to the three points, uh, just a heads up, uh, you can follow this podcast on a dedicated Twitter account, at said. And also join the uh, Madfew Facebook group if you want to uh, discuss things with the other listeners of the show. Uh, the links to both will be in uh, the the notes to this show, but uh, my old man said is the Twitter account. Uh, right, three points. First off, uh, the Premier League last week issued a letter to Facebook and Twitter about the on 
line abuse of players and uh, basically saying these platforms remain havens for abuse. The relentless flow of racist and discriminatory messages feeds on itself. The more it is tolerated by Twitter, Facebook and Instagram platforms with millions of users, the more it becomes normal and accepted. Now, when I looked at this, I thought, well, this is the problem is society, not these platforms. I mean, they've started to act. I mean, you see it in the political sphere when, you know, in the case of Donald Trump, where he's got banned. And there is obviously a problem with racism, which is, you know, they're not creating the problem. Society, that is the problem here. And uh, the thing is, I don't think you'll ever solve racism on, in its many different forms. It's more the accountability thing. I mean, you know there's never going to be a solution to it, but... If people can only join these things by sort of like a, a photo of their driving license or a photo of their passport or something to set up an account, then y- you have that person, you know, bang the rights if they say anything like that. It's just like, oh, report to Twitter, Twitter, look at it, or Facebook, look at it and say, right, you, you've said this, we're passing on to the police to see if there's a case to answer. And especially on Twitter, though, I think that the whole idea that you can just sign up, I mean, they can track you eventually, obviously, but there needs to be a bit more of a uh, criteria to, to sign up yeah I mean, it's, it's a similar thing to if you know you, you know people have online banking they have an online tax account uh they have an online nhs account things like that and you have to go through certain criteria to get in you know to get an account and then to get into your account and i think that's you know you shouldn't it, that would i think would help eradicate these sort of trolling accounts for people who you know just just go online to just dig into celebrities and i just thought the while the sentiment's correct it, it just came across as if they were virtuous you know beyond reproach and there's the amount of problems in terms of inherent systemic racism within you know the the fa and the premier league and here they are kind of taking some higher higher tone with this letter as they often do which you know if i was facebook or twitter who are obviously looking at this across the across the board i'm just saying you know don't tell us how to run our business look at your own you know look in the mirror see how you're running yours or they'd say well what do you suggest you know what a what do you suggest and how you know what are you doing to help this i mean you're right though in terms of it being a societal thing because i think everybody's been online before and they've either poked fun at someone or they've it's certainly in football terms you've 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 been critical of a, a player or a manager or whoever but i think there's there's ways to do it uh speaking of uh, technology going wrong point number two a Zoom call set up by the Chester FC fans group, which uh, they, they own the club, do they not? Uh, they met for like a, a members meeting. I think it was 170 supporters were present, along with uh, manager Anthony Johnson, who was there to like stage a Q&A. And uh, before that Q&A, uh, imagine screen loads of uh, squares of people in the Zoom meeting and then suddenly there's a topless woman gyrating around in one of them and it seemed that uh, somebody hacked it with a uh, porn video. The uh, Cheshire Club's uh, chairman, Andrew Morris, said, sadly, there were some people who obviously joined in with a different agenda than talking about the challenges of non-league football. He then added, uh, well, he labelled the incident entirely unsuitable but joked the club should see a surge of members. <laughs> Great but choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you did that on purpose. In terms of Zoom meetings, I've got a Zoom meeting with PGMOL, Mike Riley, everybody, uh, everybody's favourite farm man, this coming week. So uh, I'd be interested to see if there's any uh, pornography uh, it, uh, showing up in that Zoom call. Maybe plenty of tits out of them. 
Oh, that's good. No comment, no comment. I can't say anything. I will uh, report back in the Off the Record uh, podcast show on the My Old Man Said uh, Patreon uh, podcast channel of uh, what happened in the meeting and if there was any uh, pornography uh, popping up. Uh, Point number three. This is something that happened, uh, well, end of last year, which uh, went under our radar. Uh, A Chinese woman's match was postponed over hair colour because players had to have black hair if they uh, if they are to play in games. The Fujian Provincial uh, Department of Education's rules are athletes are not allowed to dye their hair, grow hair long for boys, wear weird hairstyles, or wear any accessories. Otherwise, they will be disqualified from the competition. So, I mean, Villa would have had... Well, pretty much every match uh, suspended this season with uh, Grealish's blonde highlights and Lansbury's top knot. I think married married target now might be okay. He's got a nice, sensible short back and sides going on. Not not like the previous lockdown Harry had. Great, he's that with his Alice band. He's just he's just not he's not got the looks <laughs> yeah. as he to pull off an Alice band. <laughs> what are you trying to say, bud? That he looks like Sherman from American Pie. <laughs> Oh dear, this is horrible, this podcast. I mean, I think the Premier League should write a letter to uh, whoever hosts this podcast, Acast, and say, look, you've got a responsibility here. You can't have people slagging off players left, right and centre and how they look. I don't know. It might it might work in the Premier League, actually. It might smarten up the uh, the Premier League if uh, players were banned uh, for stupid hairstyles, especially the Leeds team. I mean, hoo-hoo. There's some shockers there, aren't there? I'd bring it in just for Leeds, just to get them banned. <laughs> relegated because of bad hairstyles right uh, before we go on I just want to say a big thank you very much to the My Old Man Said patrons for supporting the show as per usual uh, My Old Man Said patrons receive uh, exclusive podcast channel with exclusive shows that we put together coming soon will be uh, I think I mentioned it earlier the uh, off the record uh, which will be uh, my insights into the meeting with PGMOL and Mike Riley and co. Uh, I think David Ellery might be going. He's at IFAB, who actually make the rules, uh, the football rules uh, in in England. Hopefully he turns up, actually. It'll be interesting to see who passes the buck to who in terms of what's been going on. Uh, as, as also, we'll have the Mad Few Q&A show uh, coming out. And uh, hopefully, if I get my shit together, the My Old Mandalorian show, which uh, is more culture and less villa and also of course you get access to uh, match club which is our our match day get together during the game and after which was uh, it was good fun against brighton actually again it turned into a therapy session it's always good when it's always a bit flat when we win weirdly and then it's always actually quite entertaining when we don't it's bizarre yeah Right, uh, if you want to join us uh, as a My Man Said patron and uh, join us in Match Club and also get access to the uh, podcast channel, go to myomansaid.com and click on the patron link in the menu or, or on the site to uh, get more information there to sign up. Thank you very much. Right, trip to uh, the Amex on the southern coast. Brighton, uh, we haven't beaten them on their patch since the early 80s. Uh, I think in seven attempts we've failed to beat them, which is a surprise. I mean, it's seven games, what, over about, what, 30 years? Or so?
divine right think they should be getting three points. And going into this where Brighton were a team, I think they were six unbeaten and they'd taken major scalps, they'd beaten Liverpool. And barely conceded goals either. Yeah, and uh, within about five or ten minutes you realise exactly why uh, that uh, was the case. But uh, more of that in a second. Uh, The only change was Louise for Nakamba. A few Villa supporters were questioning that. I mean, I proposed uh, in Match Club, but Louise was in because Smith saw this as more of a game they'd probably have a foothold in. And so uh, they'd want to do more with the ball in possession. And that's uh, perhaps where Louise was in because against Arsenal, you know, we hardly saw the ball. So we needed somebody to break up the opposition's play. So I thought it was kind of logical and I expected uh, Luis to come back. The thing is, though, uh, with Luis in the team, that is our first 11. That's our strongest first 11 in the eyes of Dean Smith. Because obviously they made a big outlay on Traore, he's always going to start above the others if you are picking your best 11. The problem is, though, it struggles against a certain style and Brighton served up that style. And that is essentially just the way they pressed us and hunted in packs. And they just was just a ruffled and frustrated Villa from pretty much start to finish of that game. And you were just hoping at halftime, you're thinking, hmm, uh, hopefully Brighton can't keep this up. It wasn't so much the Almex, it was more like the Alamo. Yeah. I mean, Martinez was doing that. I've... To be honest, I don't like the way Brighton play. I have a bit of a bee in my bonnet. I sort of I would refer to it as like football by spreadsheet. Why? Um, just because it's they almost hamper themselves. I mean, they have they have a way of playing. They've when they press, they press in twos and threes. But whenever those twos and threes get the ball, it's um it's not natural about how they get it into an attacking position again. I was listening to I think it was. Rory Smith that writes for the New York Times and he was saying that expected goals has came and gone and been accepted the next thing that they're going to bring into this is shot location and that's something that Man City and Brighton work on it's something that came from basketball so don't take a shot unless you work it into like a, an advantageous position on the pitch to take the shot and you can see Brighton doing that most of their shots were coming from sort of the corner of the box places that you know they have a high chance of success and it was just lucky that Martinez was the, the keeper that he was that he could keep most of them out in the game but Brighton in the last well, let's say last 10 years they were a bit more pure in terms of possession and attacking football that, that got them out of the championship eventually but a good few seasons before they finally got out they were just they were missing a, a, a proper striker like let's say a 15 20 goals striker they, I mean I watched them a couple of times I used to live down there and you know great on the eye but they just had no end product but what you have now is almost like a steroid version of them and they're not like this kind of nice on the eye beautiful football they, they play through you of, of course so it's like a, an evolvement but it's like a steely kind of evolvement i mean what i would just say to finish and what i was saying why i don't like them any i look at it as like on a, on a spectrum if you have Burnley at one end of the spectrum the kind of football they play and then you can put Brighton on the other end of the spectrum I mean they're both extreme versions of football and to be honest with you I I find them both sort of as as dull as each other I mean everything is done to you know you're in that place now and you have to go to that you have to be in that position straight away once we win the ball you have to be in that position there's very little sort of it's called organization though isn't it Mm-hmm, but it's it's hyper organizations. It's just it's it's not for it's me. Fucking effective though, Phil. We we didn't know what the fuck to do against it. No, no, no I mean I, I completely agree with it. But for for a team that limits itself to that style of play in every game, there there is a glass ceiling. I mean, you don't you, you don't see them going out and smashing a team. They've only won three home games in three years. 
in three different years. That was the stat, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. But uh, Phil Villa hardly laid a glove on them. So uh, what what do you think about Villa? <laughs> if if you hate them, <laughs> I mean, despite uh, the the shade that Phil's throwing at them, they managed twenty six shots. Nine of those were on target, as as you just mentioned. Martinez uh, did a good job. Outstanding saves, maybe two. Yeah. There's you know if, you know most of them were routine, and obviously goalkeepers are paid to do a job, i.e. make saves. But a couple of them were. Uh, above and beyond but you know Martinez I think he's he's one of the best keepers in the league no problem but the problem was at half time only thing I I was looking at was I hope these fuckers tire because uh, it was the same as you know against Leeds where we just had no, no answer to it and you think well, actually we can't fight fire with fire here because we haven't got the players to do that Grealish and Barkley that you know they need the ball and they need let's say a little bit of time and they need to be playing in front of a team, you know, where they can do their little feints and their little uh, dummies and, uh, you know, quick shot movement. But one thing you'll notice about Brighton, they they played a lot of first-time balls and they moved it through midfield very quickly when they got the ball. I mean, you could see it in the first five, ten minutes because Villa were trying to play out of the back. You know, Mings would start off with the ball and they would be pressed so quickly that as soon as Mings played it to a midfielder, it was coming straight back at him because the midfield couldn't do anything with it. They were, you know, it was like a hot potato because suddenly they were surrounded by, you know, two, three players each. And Mings would have to launch it up. I mean, Smith Smith came out after the game, didn't he, and said that wasn't even bang average, which which speaks volumes, really. It's it's probably the first time we've seen this season that you would go as far as to say Villa look blunt up front. I mean, it's so rare when you've got, you know, McGinn, you know, Ross Barkley, Grealish, Watkins, etc., you, you always think we're in a game here. We'll all, we we can make something happen. Even the pundits at half time were saying, you know, Villa haven't played particularly well, but you do fancy them to make some stuff happen in the second half. First five minutes, you thought oh, we might be growing into this, and then we never really got up ahead of steam. It's the first time this season we just offered nothing up front. I think most Villa fans were thinking, well, you know, look at that Burnley game. They they were they were atrocious in the first half. We we destroyed them. Played great stuff in the second half. They took over, and so we were hoping that kind of reversal would happen here. I mean, my view on Brighton is you know, they're a well-drilled side. They have a plan. They stick to it. And and against Villa, they executed that very well. I think that the bookies before the game had had it on as like odds on for a draw, which you can kind of see why Brighton are where they are in terms of why they're not going up the league at, at rate of knots because they they don't. While they made chances, I still don't feel that they ever carried a threat. You always felt that well, they might nick a goal, but they're not going to consistently tear us open because they don't have the goal scorer. But but you also sort of see why well. You look at the bottom three and you think, well, there's a reason these guys are not going to go down because they've got more than enough to, to go to Anfield and win and get a point against a relatively informed Villa and beat Tottenham. And you know, that's three points for a supposedly relegation threat inside against top, you know, top 10 sides. But you're thinking if they had that striker, they would be comfortably mid-table, yes, no yeah, problem, yeah. because that shit is hard to play against. And yep. as I said, Villa were completely ruffled and frustrated, which presented the, the the situation, what does Smith have to do here to try to get a foothold in this game, which we never had because, you know, we apart from a Barkley shot on target, that was it. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. 
Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yep. I, I, I mean, we, we, I know we've, we've tried so many times to use the uh, plan A, plan B cliche. But in the Brighton game, you saw that I think you know, the, the Matty Cash injury sort of changed the plan slightly because I think he would have probably used three proactive subs if he, if he hadn't had to bring Elmo on. But sometimes it's not about personnel, isn't it? Sometimes it's not about like for like. You think, well, you've actually got 11 very good players that we're happy with on the field. Even if they're not playing well, it's about a change of shape, a change of approach. We didn't yeah, change our approach. it was nothing to do with like for like, was it? Because you, you looked at that bench and you thought, none of these are going to change this. There has to be some yeah. kind of systematic change here. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I said in Match Club, it was a case of you need to go a bit old school. I mean, you need to change from... Um, Smith ball, the the sort of setting traps and things like that. You can't set traps for Brighton because they don't hold one player doesn't hold on to the ball long enough because like you said it hot potatoes to the next one. So you can't really set a trap for them. Um so you should have been hitting it longer into the corners, getting runners after, just sort of play a bit of territory football for a while, just to knock Brighton out of that rigid sort of organization, just something to disrupt it. And get, and, get you up know, the field up. as well. I mean, anyway, I, I know I, I overuse the, the, the fucking saying of uh, base camp, but it's set yourself... Oh, a, don't. I hate that saying. It makes me want to vomit. That's why I say it more, David, because I know it does. But it's that thing mm. of give yourself somewhere, like a platform in the game to build from. And we never did, because I think we were so sort of... Um, the gaps were huge. I think to begin with in defence, we had, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, you're back four and then the midfield would slot in quite tight and we were compact at times and that's why we were hard to break down and that's fine but then when you want to go and take the the, you know, the, the game to the opposition your striker gets very isolated all of a sudden whereas actually sometimes when our defence stays deep our midfield pushes up close to the attack we end up being quite easy to play through so it's getting the balance right whereas Brighton they, they managed to play through the, the phases of the field really well we just didn't ever do that because Louise we never got the foothold in the you know the six and the seven positions with McGinn and Louise actually getting the foot on the ball and starting things off it was it was always in the fullback positions invariably Mings would get the ball from a, a rollout or a, a pass and it'd either go to target and go long or Mings would go long and it would come straight back and you're thinking, why are you why are you playing a long ball game or a direct game against two of the biggest centre backs? I just explained it. Mings was in the first ten minutes. Mings was like they were trying to play out, but every time he played into the midfield, the press starts at the midfield. It's like when we played Liverpool. Liverpool press high, so they're a bit further up the field. So when we release the ball, off we go. We can go on a counter straight away. Brighton go back their press starts more at the midfield so every time Mings or Konza played it into a midfielder to start building from the back they had two on them they had to play it back then Mings gets the ball he looks around there's no obvious short ball so he has to ping it up long and then as you say it comes back and we weren't winning second mm. balls we just and you look at the um 
the tackle percentages and stuff, we weren't even doing the basics, you know, the basic shit that sort of earned the right to play against these sort of teams. It's the, well, we're Aston Villa, we play great football. If we turn up and play well, we'll sweep these aside. And it's like, well, it's not that simple, guys. You know, there's, there's good sides who've gone there and struggled. We didn't fight with them and then earn the right to kind of go, right, we've got our foot in the game. Now we're going to show our quality. We never even got near their box. Well, one level of discourse when Villa play and and it came out after this is our oh, villa was shit we're you know we're, this this is our worst performance ever we're below par and this, it was like no no mention of the fucking opponents now brighton we had no idea how to play against them they they shut us down because they know how you know graham potter knows how smith wants to play and he made sure he couldn't play so the situation is this isn't uh villa playing crap it's villa not being allowed to play because of brighton so so the big question is you know is that it for villa is have we only got this one way of playing because it struggled against leeds it struggled against southampton west ham knew what exactly to do against it in the second time we played them after they'd evolved, Burnley worked us out at half time I mean, and switched it yeah, around. Two points from 12 against Burnley and Brighton. If you'd have said that at the start of the season, no way would you have thought Villa would be sat in eighth position in the table. Yeah, considering we did reasonably well against them last season. And we took four points off both, didn't we? Well, there's, there's two Each. stats that sort, of, that sort of support that because, um, just to ask you a question, wh- where do you think Villa rank in the Premier League league table for tackles one? So would, where, where 1-20 to would Villa sit for getting the ball back off the opposition? I'm going to go mid-table. Mid-table. Well, you, you would expect that, but Villa are actually bottom of the league for tackles won. So Villa have won, right. Villa have won 161 tackles in the league. And when you compare that to Southampton, who are top, it's 260. And even Brighton have won 215. That's a mark of not working hard. Well, we're also not capable of fighting fire with fire. We haven't got the uh, the personnel to, you know, to battle against Leeds or Brighton. In that physical manner. I mean, there was a lot of people through the react- uh, reactions to the game as it unfolded were, were blaming the referee because Brighton were physical, you know, too physical. And, and it was like, well, I didn't really notice that much out of order. And it's just like, this is kind of boys against men in the physicality. We and, got bullied. And to, be, and to be crying about it, it's like, no, no, you should be doing something about it, not crying about it to the referee. Yeah, and then when you when you can't get the ball off the opposition, the other thing you need to do is you know retain it well whenever you do have it. So I'll I'll ask a question again: Where do Villa sit in the passes completed table? You'd like to think probably somewhere mid table again, but you'd be thinking eight. Well, we you'd be wrong again because we actually sit we actually sit sixteenth because the only teams worse than us at the pass completion are Sheffield United. Newcastle, Burnley, and West Brom. I mean, that's shocking considering how bad those teams have been at times. I think that's initially where we got our success from was the counter. This is, you know, harking back to the the first four games when teams didn't really know much about us or how we played. And now uh, they kind of do when we've played against the teams that frustrate us and get in our faces. And that's that lack of time on the ball is causing, you know, this mistakes and the low uh, pass completion. I mean, we, we said it, didn't we, earlier in the year, that if, if you play an open, expansive game with, with a high line, especially at the, you know, the start of the season, Villa will batter you, as we did at Arsenal, we did against Liverpool, we did in a couple of other games as well. You know, Palace kind of did that against, you know, we played with 10 men for most of the second half. It's the honey trap, and and, and and just destroyed them on the break. Whereas teams know, actually, if we, if we keep our back four deep and make Villa play through us, statistically, it would suggest that actually Villa can't do that at the moment. We don't move the ball well enough, crisp enough or quickly enough. Yeah, 
we want we want gaping spaces to run in. When you're looking for solutions in this game, I mean, it might may have helped if Wesley was around. I mean, obviously, it's hypothetical where you could probably go a bit longer, get him to hold it up and, and then, you know, win the second ball off him with a Watkins alongside him. But it is hard when you have Barkley, Grealish. I mean, McGinn was getting in there and made some useful contributions, but Louise, he's got that shithousery about him, but he's not like a, a enforcer in the traditional sense in terms of, you know, no, going head to head with spoiler. Them. Yeah. So uh, this, you know, are we too soft in the middle? Because, I mean, this isn't the first time we've, uh, we raised the question about mid- midfield, you know, many times. I think it started with the Leeds uh, debacle and then Southampton played through as West Ham we were really up in arms about the you know the the holes in midfield was against West Ham, but here it's probably the most apparent because we didn't we weren't on that level of competing with them. I mean, it's 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 a slightly concerning thing when you look at the the overall narrative of the season. Clearly, it's positive and it's an upward curve, and we are ultimately we're in eighth position. But you look at some of the opportunities wasted through the season, and you just hope come May that we don't regret those because everyone around us their form has been pretty patchy as well but there's there's been that reoccurring themes that when we when we don't play well or get beaten we get beaten in the same way so it, it's clearly a fundamental sort of flaw in the system or personnel or whatever it may be and they don't seem to have addressed it yet well, i don't want to be the the clangor of doom but i mean every time a player in the last few weeks has been interviewed they've spoken about europe europe this is the game you know this is the goal europe and you know we when we've spoken about it on the podcast you, you're just you're basing it on the league table and the, some of the games we've played early doors and the potential that this team has if it clicks but you look at our last two wins and they were skin over teeth, smash and grab on the back foot all you know, all the whole game against Arsenal, against Southampton. Southampton was a minor miracle. Arsenal, if they had got a draw out of that, you wouldn't have been surprised. So it's not we've lost that where we've controlled games and blown teams away. I think Newcastle, they were so abject. They were just dreadful. And we got we were two up and then we just stopped playing. We didn't really have to be fluid. We weren't at our fluid best. I think any team who were fluid against Newcastle, we would have absolutely butchered them. But we just didn't have it in us in the second half. What is getting us through all this is uh, the back four and the goalkeeper because they have been immense. I mean, you know, 12 clean sheets so far, but that's what got us the win against Southampton and Arsenal more than anything else. And normally it's your, what you do attacking uh, wins you the games. I mean, you can just see in Smith's post-match interviews, you can tell he's frustrated at the moment. You know, he knows that things aren't quite clicking and it almost looks like he's not quite sure why. So what would you do? I mean, thinking about Grealish on the left is... We've seen games now where Grealish has been neutralised. And when you're on the left, you are limited where you can go. I mean, because you can't go left because you'll be off the pitch, obviously. And defensively, he has responsibilities. Yeah, so uh, he has to be running. He's got to have space to run into and take players on. I mean, he's done, you know, he's got out of like ridiculously uh, impossible situations. And, you know, that's a testament to his skills. But at the end of the day, it's effectiveness. You know, West Ham, they had a couple of players on him every time. Brighton, they had a couple of players on every, every time any Villa player got the ball. It was uh, doubling up on everybody. It's the whole, uh, you know, the concept of hunting in packs, as they say. Barkley's got a lot of criticism, but uh, I mean, in terms of being effective, I mean, everybody uh, loves stats now and they'll use all the stats, uh, like key passes and stuff to, uh, to hype out, you know, how good Grealish is, but in terms of key passes, he didn't have one. I think I think the commentator said that's the first time for you know however long uh, that he's never made a key pass in the game. Barkley had two shots on target. Barkley had the only one of anybody, 
And then Barkley had more shots than any other player with two. And Jack's only real key stat was, uh, you know, one shot. And in terms of uh, pass completion, Grealish had the best with 81.3. But Barkley was better than any other midfielder as well. So I don't think Barkley had a particular bad game it was just the ball was not getting we threw up we weren't playing through them to the point where we get it to Barkley to actually do something with it and dictate play around their 18 yard box we just weren't afforded that luxury I mean I thought there were, there were probably two not necessarily obvious changes but you look at our form over the Christmas period and if Barkley's not doing it no 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 well not even Barkley but anyone if they're not delivering they're not immune to just being hooked and if he wants yeah. to go and kick water bottles that's up to him but I'd have just hooked him earlier put Jack in the middle you've got El Ghazi who can play on the left or you've got Trezeguet, or you've got other options, or while he's not a threat, you could have just gone 4-4-2, pull Barkley out of there, keep Jack on the left, but you, you hold a, a more solid four across the middle. And you just put Keenan Davis up top as a focal point, knowing that if you've still got Watkins, you've still got a threat, but you've got somebody who's a bit more of a physical presence. And if you can play, especially into feet, which we tend to prefer to do with Davis, he will hold the ball up, but we just never had that focal point to play off. We never got Watkins you know, involved enough to play off him around the penalty area or running in behind. We, we just had no focal point to our attack. Yeah. And we were playing so we were playing so deep as well. You know, we, we we could never commit more than two or three players into their half at any one time because the back four were pretty much holding the eighteen yard line for long periods of the game, and then you'd, you'd always have one of McGinn or Louise not that far in front of them. I th- I think the change needs to come from from the lineup. I don't think you can just go out with our supposed best lineup and all these games. I mean, there's matches coming up that you know are our best eleven lineup that Smith likes to play has weaknesses against a certain type of opposition. Let me ask you a question then uh, to continue on your train of thought. Who who you, who are you selecting against Leeds? Against Leeds, I am putting the Kanban and I am playing I'm playing an extra midfielder. I'm playing I mean we could be without Matty Cash, so I'm I'm thinking it could, could it be time to go back to three at the back just for against Leeds to put an extra midfielder in in the Kanban. And whenever Barkley came to Villa, one of the attributes that I would have thought about Barkley is I wasn't immediately thinking, oh, Barkley will close down that opposition defence. He, he's It's not his game. So him being criticised overly for not closing down, you sort of knew what you were getting with him. I mean, you know, Barkley is one of the outballs. So when he's just jogging back, you know, I, I kind of expect that because it's not in his uh, remit. I mean, you'll get more closing down from Watkins than you will uh, ever with Barkley. And I, I, I feel like I'm jumping on the bandwagon by saying putting the camp in because he's had two decent games. I mean, he's all we have. I mean, I don't, I haven't seen enough of Sanson. The, the, he, he's looked tidy when he's come on, but I, I haven't seen him like put a slide tackle in or something like that there. And the, against Arsenal, the camp made more tackles than any other player in the Premier League that weekend. So, you know, we know he's got tackles in him. So t- teams that play high energy need disrupted and... Nakamba can disrupt teams. Hopefully, he doesn't disrupt Villa when he plays. But he can disrupt other teams. <laughs> yeah, I'd almost, I'd almost treat it a bit like how we did against um, Leicester in the cup, where you could, you could play a back three with wing backs because Matty Target can play as a good wing back. You could probably play Elmo, and he's, he's not bad getting forward. And then you play a much more solid three in the middle, and you'd almost maybe even play Jack off Watkins in a, a more free role. So you're, you're thinking the wing backs. Three, three centre-backs. The only problem is defensively, then you're bringing Engels in who hasn't played and you're having to shift shift system whereas the, the, the back four that we've got have been good. So I think Elmo's going to come in. Well, he's, he's going to have to, isn't he? Because obviously we haven't got Gilbert. But it, it's, it's just how you get that defensive 
lying midfielder working. Because, I mean, the, the only thing that's not broken at the moment is uh, our back line, including the goalkeeper. So to change that, and obviously it's well drilled in terms of where it is and yep. how it operates, and that is why it's the secret of the success. Yep. So to start to uh, disrupt that could be uh, shooting ourselves in the foot. Or, to be honest, in, in terms of the Leeds game, I think Leicester's different. I think it's going to be a much tighter game. But with Leeds, for example, they're shocking at the back. You've got to see that as we've just got to get after them. If you, you can't just sit back and let, you, and let them batter you. You're just letting them play to their strengths. Yeah, but... I don't think they willingly let them batter them. That's that's the problem. What, what do we do? Because in this game, Leeds, we take our chances. If you remember, we we, we went three mm-hmm. 0 down after missing three or four big chances. If you get yeah. a chance against them, take the lead, and make them stretch the game. Yeah. Well, I mean, when when Man United demolished Leeds, what they did was they just sat on the halfway line and pl- they played two extra midfielders. They had McTominay and Fred and Fernandez and Pogba. So they have. They had they flooded the midfield whenever the ball broke. All the midfielders ran forward, and, and Leeds Leeds were all either up the pitch, chasing back, or just all over the show at the backs. But I don't know if like if we have the personnel. So instead of playing like effectively uh, from midfield going forward, like two three one, would you uh, have an extra one and just maybe play like Watkins and then somebody left and right of him rather than having uh, you know like a three? Yeah, so it's more it's either more like a four three three when you've got the ball and it becomes a four five one when you haven't. Yeah, yeah. Because Watkins is the kind of player if you're going to stretch teams on and relative and Leicester could be a good game to play him on the break. You can kind of leave him up top on his own as long as you give him a relative amount of you know good service and stretch the channels and can get people close to him. Yeah, I mean, I, I take on board completely what you're saying, but you don't want to disrupt the back four that has been that has played so well. But you need to do something with that midfield. You need an extra, even just an, an extra body in there that the opposition have to get past before they get at your defence. Yeah. Well, we've been playing uh, McGinn and Louise. Or McGinn and Nakamber, and- who on paper should give you should give you energy, but it's just it's just not working at the moment. Whether they're just they've all had a bit of a, a drop of form at the same time, I don't know. But whether there's a knock on from the, the COVID effects, I've I've no idea. Smith, as I said in his presses, even he looks some somewhat flummoxed by the the performances at the moment. And this has been sort of coming through the start of the year. You know, we had games at you know the Manchester clubs where we put in good performances for spells, but we weren't fluid in those either, really. The form this side of Christmas has been patchy at best. Yeah, the thing is, you know, there's obviously mitigating circumstances, COVID break, etc., etc. But in the the cold light of day against Brighton, as, as I've said, you know, we didn't lay a finger on them and we were completely ruffled there. And people have said... Uh, Oh, you know, it was a boring game. But I was kind of fascinated throughout it just because I was I was just waiting to see what Villa would do to get out of this situation because they were in a vice-like grip and ultimately they, they didn't do anything. No, but go, going back just to finish on on my uh, Brighton bashing for all their, like as I said, spreadsheet football, getting them into these positions to have these shots. Um, the person that actually created the most chances for them was Adam Lalana when they brought him on in 70 minutes. And the person that I think came the closest to scoring against us was Danny Welbeck, just with a simple ball into the box that Martinez did really well to save from point blank range. So yeah, I mean the final thing uh, mentioning Danny Welbeck, uh, I did say when he when he did come on uh, that even though I'm not a big Danny Welbeck fan and I wouldn't wouldn't sign him, just the fact that Brighton could bring on a, a striker like him who has a track record, he's just thinking that's what we're missing because we haven't got anything to bring on. Where, because you know, most Villa fans would have thought, "Oh fuck!" Because he scored how many goals has he scored? About five goals against Villa throughout his career, and suddenly you feel the threat of when he comes on. 
you know, and he had a, you know, he had a chance. But we haven't got that in our in our locker, and that's something. I mean, we were saying in January, even if it's just like a journeyman guy that's just there for the season, while we haven't got another option, because I think Watkins just playing game in game out, and if he's having a, a period where he's not being effective, then he, you know, he's going to get frustrated, and we are literally relying on him to uh, stay with it and keep going for it. As I said, I think in the previous podcast, if somebody's got him in the back pocket, what do we do? to uh, alter that situation. Well, it has to come from deep, doesn't it? You know, it's, it's down to our midfielders to actually take the game to people. It's Watkins is there to finish things off. Yeah, but there is no, you know, there's no alternatives though, is there? If he's uh, not on it, and you know, he went down injured in this game and you're thinking, well, this is going to be interesting. And obviously Cash, we'll see how long he's out for because he's been one of our most, you know, consistent performers. Yeah, and he he's probably in our hot outfield team, has the intensity, was it, you know, he was at home against Brighton the way they were playing. He's somebody who can actually match them. He does, you know, meet them head on. Well, he's got that nasty side to him, hasn't he? Yeah, there was one, I think, uh, proper left his foot in on somebody in the first sort of 10, 15 minutes. You thought, right, well done. Let him know you're there. Yeah. Anyway, enough of uh, Brighton. It's, uh, I think it's a dress rehearsal for the Leeds game. We'll see how that one pans out. But disappointing. And you think about that Europe thing. It's like we need signs of life now. It's a bit erratic. So there's there's nothing like a banker at the moment for Villa. Can't believe Phil doesn't like Graham Potter. I, I, I don't. <laughs> I have absolutely no view on him. No, I mean I always remember him as the the manager who I think there was a feature on him, Football Focus, or something when they uh, went out. Oh, English manager, you know, working in Sweden. And uh, I think I think Swansea were watching that show, and uh, they signed him up. And then within a season, uh, Brighton came in. I think once they got rid of Chris Hutton. Well, mate, do, do you use this shot location thing again? This is this is the reason I don't like him, and it's not personal. It's just the way I see football going. You, you know what Steph Curry that plays for the Golden Warriors is three point expert. So shot location, you don't see the 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 Michael Jordans anymore running in and doing the big massive dunks that the whole crowd love. You see them just pass, 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 and working it into a position for a three-pointer. Pass, 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 three-pointer. So while it's effective and it gets more points and things like that and you win more games, you know, the, the spectacle, is you're losing the spectacle. So this this is my gripe against Graham Potter. It's all right if they score goals. I mean, if Brighton was scoring three every week, I think people would go, yeah, fair play. Anyway, uh, let's uh, move on and close this show with uh, a little a little light relief with uh, underrated or overrated. <laughs> This week's subject, Mr. Steve Sidwell, who played for Brighton after Villa. Well, he had a loan spell once upon a time before he came to Villa at Brighton. He had a loan spell with so many clubs when he was at Arsenal. Uh, he was in the Arsenal Academy, uh, which was a, quite a successful academy. I think where Lansbury came out of that. A lot of players actually made it, which is unusual normally for an academy. Uh, it made his name really at Reading when they were a top-tier team. Chelsea got him on a free so uh, why did Villa sign him? Well, it was hype, wasn't it? Essentially, he was, he'd had a, he was the, the age-old thing you see all the time where a, you know, sort of a new, relatively new up-and-coming English player has a, has a good season at a small club and then they get they get the, the so-called big move where he went to, went to Chelsea, didn't quite work out and then, then went to Villa. Yeah, what, what is it about Villa and um, getting Chelsea midfielders? Well, how much was he? Was about was he five million? That's what off the t- the figure that pops off the top of my head. And I think we were thinking, oh, this actually this could be a great buy. Because, yeah, if we could, uh, could get him firing, absolutely. Because he turned Reading. He was like one of the main men at Reading when they were a top tier 
team and nobody expected that to happen. And we were, I mean, in the O'Neill years, I've always said it, I think we would have got into the Champions League, no doubt, maybe even challenged for the title if we had like a Steven Gerrard all-rounded midfielder and a 20-goal striker. I think that was the only thing, two elements we were missing. So here's one player that, you know, if he lived up to his hype, potentially could have been that man but he was pretty much an outsider throughout his uh, Villa career it just never worked out for him did it I don't think he was particularly in the end it, did, it turned out he wasn't particularly fancied by O'Neill well he was uh, well, he ended up in, in that big pile of O'Neill signings which were on big wages you have your Bays, your Marlon Howards Rio Coker became an outcast as well Zach Knight players that frankly weren't good enough and uh, probably needed better vetting before they were they were bought i'd agree with that uh you were saying about chelsea players he, he was definitely more drink water than barclay although people are starting to consider barclay as a uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> another chelsea flop midfielder the chelsea must be like bakers and loafs and uh drink water <laughs> the loaf what, what what would said well be would he be like a tiger bread or something with his color chelsea his bun sausage roll <laughs> Chelsea Burn, I don't know. I think the only cherry on top was that goal in, was it 27 seconds against Everton? In the infamous 3 2. Oh, Luke Young, here we go. Have a go, Stevie! Oh, yes! Stevie Sidwell! It don't get any better than that! The Ginger Ninja! The Ginger Ninja! Top corner! Oh, you beauty! I've only just digested my pie! 33 seconds! Oh, fantastic! What a strike! Yeah, almost whenever whenever that annoys me about some of these players more, whenever they do show what they have in the locker, and you only see it maybe fleetingly once every, well, for Villa, maybe only once you've seen it. Um, you just think to yourself, "Well, where, where have you been? You know, you know, you could yeah. have, you know, came to the party a lot sooner because there there was room to get into the team there. I mean, Rio Coker didn't, you know, he he didn't really perform for us week in week out. Petrov has his fans, but you know, there you, you could have got into that team if you had a, got into a rich vein of form. Yeah, I think I think the opportunity was there for uh, the Ginger Ninja to uh, get into. Uh, the team and you know half of it's at his feet half of it's at uh, O'Neill's I mean he was somebody who would stick to the same 11 as well and make these buys and you think oh this is part of his plan and then they would be uh, on the sidelines and you know you'd never see them again when Villa were trying to get rid of him he'd agreed twice to join Wolves and then it was a bit like your guy was it Joe Brand whenever he was having the medical at Wolves um, Fulham rang and he went to Fulham well his, his family were down in London weren't they at the time and you know, he he had said that he was he was quite and as much as he was earning a lot of money at Villa, um, he wasn't happy at Villa. Like his son had been was it meningitis? His son had been diagnosed with. So yeah. there was a lot of stuff going on off the field, and it it just never it never happened for him. I th- I'd imagine he thought, you know what, I've got the opportunity to go back to London where my my family are. I'll t- I'll take the move there. I don't I don't want to stay in the Midlands. So it's just a shame that we you know we never saw the best of him for for probably an, any number of reasons. It just didn't just didn't work out. Fulham got a bit out of him, but uh, I think his best spell of his career was at Reading, and he never really uh, progressed from there, ultimately. No. I don't know if you caught the story about him, uh, about him talking about Emil Heskey and uh, Martin O'Neill come, almost coming to blows during Villa's game against Crystal Palace when Palace were in the Championship. I think it was a cup game. Villa played Crystal Palace away. I think it was an FA Cup game because they was in the Championship at the time. Half time we come in and Emil Heskey, listen, great player, lovely lad, quiet, but 
strong as an ox and this was proved at this half-time team talk <laughs> wasn't having the best of games and Martin O'Neill was just on, on his case Emil you need to hold the ball you need to do this you need to do that and all of a sudden I, was, I kept looking at, over in the corner at Emil and he was just sort of getting angry and angry and the, sort of the, the watery eyes just sort of come and that's when you're thinking this is going to switch all of a sudden that was it he was up trying to get, get to Martin James Collins, big James Collins, Ginge, he jumped on him. Richard Dunn, who was big enough, he jumped on him. Stan Pitt tried to get in the way. He dragged them basically across the, the dressing room to get to Martin O'Neill. Martin O'Neill was behind Did he have Sha- a little girl back? Martin was behind Seamus. No Seamus. <laughs> His real name's Jim, but he likes to be called Seamus. He, 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 he was trying to sort of duck and weave behind him. Obviously, then it's all calmed down, but it's just heat of the moment stuff. Emil Heskey, as strong as an ox. It's a shame he didn't play like that uh, when he was on the pitch. No, I can't believe Martin O'Neill gave um, Emil Heskey a bad time. I thought he was like the, the chosen one for O'Neill. Yeah, you know, he had him at Leicester before that. And, and that's what I, I can't believe that he would give him a continuously bad time to the effect that the gentle giant that is Emil Heskey would actually get up and, and try to run through half the Villa team to get his hands on the O'Neill. But anyway, that's uh, that's for another overrated or underrated Mr. Heskey. I mean, the, the thing about uh, Sidwell, I mean, where is he now? We see him pop up as a pundit now, and he's he's you know he's academy coach. Is he where is he? Is he at Brighton or is that finished now? He certainly was at Brighton, yeah. And obviously, he does the the TV stuff where he's. I think he's all right actually on the telly. Yeah, he told a fetching story when he actually retired. He, he broke down and cried when he decided to uh, call it a day from football. And uh, he was married to his childhood sweetheart, and he said, "I've been with my wife since we were kids at school, and she'd never seen me cry ever." He's and then he mentions like he was kind of welling up at his wedding and the birth of his four kids, but he never cried. But then one day, uh, I think it was near the end of the season when he was at Brighton, his wife was in the bath. Too much information, I think. Then he sat on the floor next to the bath. Uh, he says, we locked the door because we didn't want the kids coming in. Ooh, ah. And then the conversation got going and it all opened up. And that's when he... Uh, burst out crying because he decided there and then that you know that was the end for him for football he said in a way i wanted the tears to appear it was good it was real relief once it happened i accepted it that was it i was done as a player but you know it's, it's not as if he had all this glory and uh it's one of those stop start careers wasn't it where you thought well yeah i guess the end it's crack on with life it's not as if it's like oh shit I'm not playing in the Champions League anymore yeah he's certainly not a player that goes down as like a legend anywhere possibly at Reading they'll have fond memories of him but he has he's had very little affinity with any one club yeah so let's get out of here underrated or overrated I think this is the Philip Sendros effect again it's another over unfortunately definitely overrated considering what we thought we were getting i suppose what chelsea thought they were getting as well from reading and then we thought of maybe again very like drink water it's uh we can get a tune out of him yep get a tune out of him but we didn't yeah this is a firm overrated actually because uh good money you can put blame at o'neill's feet but ultimately, uh, as we said, there was a place for a top Sidwell to break into. When we signed him, we we thought he's got a chance here of actually changing this team and actually making Villa his definitive club here. Because we were going places at the time. We just needed one or two players, i.e. a midfielder, just to get us up a level. And he was the guy that we uh, invested around five million on and it didn't pay off. So And apparently uh, the best wages he'd ever had in his career. Yeah, so has to be 100% overrated. 
in terms of Villa. Right. Thank you very much for listening. Please do uh, follow the show on Twitter or join the Mad Few group, as I mentioned earlier on, and subscribe to the podcast. We're going off to uh, record some extra shows and uh, get ready for the new week. Next up, Leicester City. They're a team that we've, you know, we've had our moments against last season. They slaughtered us in the league, but twice. We've beaten them uh, a couple of times within the last year, so yep. uh, it's an interesting contest. Right, until Leicester. It's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Goodbye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the Pro Pilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five year warranty. And with a bench full of all star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.